The first reading is from the Gospel of Luke, where Jesus appears to his disciples in Jerusalem. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scripture. He told them, This is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed in power with, from on high. When he had led them out of the city to Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they stayed continually at the temple praising God. Our second lesson comes from the beginning of the book of Acts. Did you know that the gospel writer Luke is also the author of the book of Acts? So he tells the story of Jesus' ascension at the end of his gospel, and then he retells it as he begins the story of the Acts of the Apostles. So hear these now, words now from chapter 1. In the first book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus did and taught from the beginning until the day when he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While staying with them, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father. This, he said, is what you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? Jesus replied, It is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, and they were gazing up toward heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. When they had entered the city, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James son of Alphaeus and Simon the Zealot, and Judas son of James." All these were constantly devoting themselves to prayer, together with certain women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, as well as his brothers. 
This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you join me in prayer? Come, Holy Spirit, as you did upon the disciples, enlightening their hearts and minds to understand the Scriptures. As we offer this time now to you, open our hearts and minds today. Help us to understand your word and your will for our lives. We pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen. The Ascension is not something that you hear a lot about in church, is it? It falls in a really awkward spot 40 days after Easter, so it's always in the middle of the week. It never falls on a Sunday morning. It's kind of an awkward spot for the disciples. They've seen the resurrected Jesus, but they haven't yet received the Holy Spirit. They're kind of stuck in this place in between. Have you ever found yourself stuck someplace in between two things? Someplace where you're waiting for the next thing to happen, but you haven't quite completed the thing that came before? You know, you get that feeling when you go out to a play or, or to a sporting event where you reach the intermission break or the halftime. It feels like nothing's really happening at that point, doesn't it? Halftime feels like it's just maybe a bathroom break for the, the audience, right? But when the, the field looks empty at halftime, if you could take a peek inside the locker room where the athletes go, many things are happening, right? At halftime is when the coach gives his passionate and inspiring speech. The players tend to their wounds, they begin to recover and refuel and rehydrate. In between is the time for preparation for what comes next. The same thing happens at the theater too, right? When intermission comes along, the, the curtains up front usually close and, and everybody takes a break. But if you could see behind the curtain, you'd notice that the cast and the crew are furiously working. Sometimes they have to change the set around. Some of the actors have to go and change costumes, maybe touch up their makeup. There's a flurry of activity. That in-between time is the chance to prepare for what comes next. Those transition points can be quite important. I have a friend who uh, recently ran the Ironman Triathlon up in Lake Placid. The Ironman races are a grueling endurance race. It's a 2.4-mile swim in Lake Placid. It's a 112-mile bike ride, followed by 26.2 miles of running, a full marathon to complete. But you know what I find fascinating? Do you know what the elite athletes practice the most? You would think it would be their running or their swimming or their biking. But those who are at the top of their game, they practice the transitions. Coming in out of the water and climbing onto the bike, or riding in on their bike and parking it and changing for the run. I find it amazing that athletes who are focused on that many miles of competition 
also practice changing their shoes as quickly as they can, right? Can you imagine a race coming down to who got out of their bathing suit the fastest, right? But what happens in between sometimes matters a lot. Is it not like that with our lives too? You know, most of our lives are not the big highlight reel moments. Most of our lives are not the highs or the lows, but they're the times in between. And that's where it counts. So too with the life of faith, right? We don't spend all of our time in worship and in prayer. Just this hour here together, it's the rest of the week where we live out our faith that matters. You know, we see a lot of these in-between spaces when you read through scriptures uh, in all kinds of different stories. You have Moses and the people of Israel wandering through the desert for 40 years. You have Noah and the animals on the ark for 40 days and 40 nights. You have Elijah as he prepares for ministry, fasting for 40 days out in the wilderness. And Jesus himself went out into the wilderness 40 days after his calling and baptism in the Jordan River, before he began his public ministry. And here we are, 40 days after Jesus' resurrection, but, but 10 full days before Pentecost arrives and the church begins. We find our story today in an in-between time. All of these times in between in the stories of Scripture are times of preparation. In today's story, the disciples spend time continually in the temple, worshiping God and praying together. Jesus gives them the instructions that they are to go and be his witnesses. We usually find those in-between times to be kind of annoying. When you're waiting for the next thing to happen, that's not usually anybody's favorite time, is it? What do we do in the modern world if we're waiting? Usually we, we pull out our cell phones, right? Try to distract ourselves from the, the burden of waiting. But that space in between can be some of the most important. Did you know that in the original manuscripts of the Bible, they are written without any spaces. I'll give you a picture. The style is called scriptio continua. And so even if you learn your Hebrew or your Greek, you also have to be able to read words with no spaces in between. Paper was so precious and expensive that the, the scribes didn't want to waste a single scrap of it. In fact, spaces didn't come into the Bible until the Irish monks of the 7th century decided it was just too difficult to read this, and they started to leave a gap between the words. But that was a, a newfangled invention. It didn't catch on for another 400 years on mainland Europe. But, as you can imagine, text without any spaces in between presents some challenges, doesn't it? Can you imagine sometimes that, that two words bump up against each other, and if you're not sure where to put the space, you're not exactly sure which two words you're looking at. And you also notice 
In Scriptio Continua, there's no punctuation either. Let me just give you an example of that. These, of course, are Jesus' words on the cross to the thief who is hanging next to him. That comma matters, doesn't it? Which way do we read that? Truly I say to you, comma, today you'll be with me in paradise. Or, truly I say to you today, comma, you will be with me in paradise. Pretty interesting, huh? There are a lot of translation challenges like that when the punctuation and the spaces are missing. The space in between matters. Matters in life, too. Not only the important markers of our lives, those moments that we wait for and hope for and pray for, but also the spaces in between those times. The space in between is when God is shaping you, when God is healing you, when God is preparing you for what will come next. Our story today comes at an awkward point, right? When Jesus ascends up into the clouds, there's 10 more days that the disciples are unsupervised, right? They have not yet received the Holy Spirit, but they're in an in-between time where Jesus is no longer present with them as he had been before. You know what happens when people are left without supervision, right? It happens in my house when it's time to clean up toys down in the family room in the basement. You know, we give the boys instructions and uh, leave them downstairs for about 15 or 20 minutes. And of course, when we come downstairs, everything is picked up and put away, right guys? No. Sometimes we come down and find a bigger mess, right? What will it be like for the disciples to do this on their own, in the power of the Holy Spirit, but without Jesus guiding them by their side. It reminds me of a a time growing up. I can remember as a kid being so excited on my parents' farm to be on the tractor. When I was little, that meant I would ride on the, the fender and put my feet on the battery of the tractor and and watch my dad drive through the fields. And I spent hours riding on the fender. And one day, my dad offered for me to climb over into his lap. And uh, on that particular tractor, I was just the right height to stand and kind of look through the steering wheel at that point, right? And I can remember the days of my dad riding in the seat and me holding the steering wheel in front of him. And then the next summer, I climbed into that chair and my dad was the one riding on the fender and putting his feet up on the battery. And then one day, we came out to the tractor and I climbed on, but he stayed beside it. And he he gave me some directions to go out into the field and, and rake some hay or something. And then he left to do some other job on the farm. I can remember the weight of that. What's going to happen if I screw this up? I don't think I'm ready. But my dad knew that I'd been prepared for that moment. That time in between, 
the riding on the fender and the peering through the steering wheel had prepared me. I believe in the same way in your life, God has prepared you. Those times in between are when God is getting us ready to face the next challenge. You know, we don't often talk about the ascension on Sunday mornings in church. It's kind of an awkward story. Jesus floating up into the clouds and disappearing before the disciples' eyes. We're, we're not quite sure to make of that with our modern minds. And, and if you ever look at ascension artwork, it's kind of terrible, right? All of the paintings and pictures are of Jesus' backside as he's leaving up into the clouds. We usually prefer to think of Jesus as a baby at the other end of the story, right? We, we put up the little creche at Christmas time here, and, and all the characters go in, and we remember that Jesus was a baby born into our midst. And we remember that God came to be with us. We call that baby Emmanuel. That's usually a part of our theology we focus on, the incarnation, that God came down from heaven to build a bridge, to be with us. But today we remember the other side of that journey. When Jesus ascends back into the clouds to sit at the right hand of the Father, it's the completion of that bridge, that God would come down to us, but then that God would carry us back up. After Jesus conquers sin and death, he returns to heaven in a body like ours, in a body with scars, with nail marks in his hands, with a wound in his side. We remember not only that perfect little baby born at Christmas, but that scarred body that Jesus carries humanity back to God, taking all the parts of us and reconnecting us to our Father in heaven. We remember on this day that the story is not only about the beginning, the story is not only about the end, the story is not only about the high points, the story is not only about the low points, but today we celebrate the space in between. Remembering that in those times in between in our own lives, that God is with us through it all. Thanks be to God. Amen.